goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Data Transformers podcast. And today we are excited to have a guest who is Amazon's global program manager and newly minted LinkedIn's top voice in data science and artificial intelligence, Greg Kukia. Greg, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ramesh and Peggy. Thank you for having me. And I'm happy to be here to talk to you, talk to the audience. Uh, it's truly an honor to be among you all. We're very really honored to have you here. Thanks, Greg, for being here today. Appreciate it. So, Greg, uh, so I gave a very high-level introduction. So, global program manager, that can mean many different things. Uh, looks like your background originally is in the operations and process side of the world. So, why don't you, in a, your own words, uh, let us know and let the audience know what you do? Sure. Uh, my uh, current role right now, I'm the head of uh, global expansion for the private brands division at Amazon. Uh, but I also, I just cater to uh, safety and compliance. So I lead uh, that piece of new product development where I make sure that I leverage technology or processes to make sure I accelerate time to market. Uh, but in doing so, uh, these technologies, these processes are making sure that we're capturing the right um, compliance requirements, import requirements, and safety requirements for these products to make sure that by the time we launch in any marketplace, these products are safe for the customers. And it seems like you leverage a lot of data science in a lot of your work. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, how that applies to safety and compliance? Sure, sure. Uh, so if you think about a lot of the uh, products that we put to market, uh, we have to make sure that we identify these products the right way in our systems. And one of those things is kind of like automation for things like classifications of ASINs. So you want to make sure you classify them properly to make sure you're capturing the requirements for all of our testings. So if uh, you misclassify an, a, a product, uh, you might uh, miss out on a key uh, uh, checks that you need to do on these products before you launch them out. So uh, a lot of that means you want to uh, leverage machine learning because uh, classification is so uh, hardest task. Um, when done by a human, you have to do more than just um, rule-based scenario. You have to really uh, look at all the aspects of that product to make sure that you classify it in the proper way to make sure you're capturing all of these um, requirements for the product, right? If you think about quality of the product, safety of the product, um, all of the performances and things like that, or the requirements to import at the local marketplace, all of these misclassification can be very critical, right? Very costly and uh, very costly for the customer, very costly for us. And in those cases, uh, a machine learning tool can enable millions of products for us very fast. So you can see how uh, doing it with a human can be very, uh, uh, you know, time consuming. And uh, those are the cases where I can look at and see what are the opportunities we have 
to build like an ML tool to perform that task. Hmm. So Greg, on this AI ML journey that you just talked about, uh, what is your assessment of the maturity level in terms of, uh, so let's talk about two different things. One is the data side of the world and the other one is the models, right? And the classification labeling that you just mentioned on the data side, if you're comfortable talking about, uh, it's, it's very mature that you're able to get quality data or you're the beginning uh, in that journey. So for me, particularly, I'm at the beginning because I'm uh, trying to drive my department this way, simply because this is something I'm certainly interested in, uh, uh, highly interested. But where I'm lucky is that I work for a company who's already deployed these systems for other use cases. If you can think about how big uh, this company is, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of uh, uh, built-in tools and in, in, in products that we uh, sell out there that we use internally uh, that are tackling a lot of use cases. So I'm just here to shop around um, and make sure that I uh, take the group that I represent in that route too. So uh, that's, that's all I'm doing. And I think everyone certainly knows Amazon is certainly the leader in um, AI machine learning. I mean, we all have an Alexa unit. <laughs> um, and I certainly talk to mine almost every single day. So can you talk a little bit more about, um, you know, the you've been at Amazon for about a year, I believe. Um, talk about some of the, you know, things that you're looking to do um, next year as well. I mean, building upon classification, and certainly we all know that's in the data science world, that's really quite um, a big effort. I mean, what other challenges are you also tackling as well? So a lot of the other tackling things, uh, uh, tackling issues uh, are around, um, really it's, it's, it's about drawing the map of all of our processes and clearly defining the line between whether you know, machine learning is needed or whether a simple process is needed. Sometimes if it's a rule base where you just need to say, if then you don't really need machine learning for that, right? So, you know, separating those processes is key. Uh, so next year, this is what I'll, I'm looking to do. Uh, separating those two, making sure that I address them both, but in a very uh, strategic way. So, um, and, and all of that has to be done by focusing on what the customer really needs, right? So for the uh, pain points, typically a customer would say, oh, I need a machine learning tool to make that happen. Then it's my job to take a look at that and say, okay, this is just rule based. Just set the threshold to this, and this is what this is what the result should be. Now let's let's put that aside. Now there are things that are core machine learning, so that could uh, leverage optical character recognition, um, image recognition, and things like that. Those are the things that I want to focus in uh, for our use cases. So sometimes, if I can think of one, is we want to make sure that when we have uh, uh, contracts, and I don't want to say too much into it, when you have contracts with uh, someone, we give them a permission to sell in certain marketplaces. So how do we automate uh, a scan through of our products in all the marketplaces to make sure that they are in fact doing business in the marketplaces where we allow them to do business in, or uh, we, so we can capture them if they are saying, for example, uh, doing business in a country that they don't have approval to do so. So those kind of tools are the ones that I'm looking for in terms of scanning a full Amazon website, for example. Look for my products 
and make sure that they're not enabled in territories that are not allowed to the business set, right? So if this particular product is not supposed to sell in India, for example, um, how do I stop it automatically? Instead of having somebody going through the detail pages at amazon.com one by one, which is a very slow process, those are the use cases that I would need to do use to make sure I capture those. Um, brand, uh, uh, what do you say? Um, uh, so so some some uh, people are copying the brand, uh, you know, uh, the logo? characteristics, the logos. So you could steal a logo and make it seem like you're selling under some sort of brand. Mm. You could either put a lot of people on the Amazon website to look for these fake brands, or you could automate it through machine learning with uh, image recognition. So those are the things that I'm uh, looking to, forward to do. So good. Actually, Greg, actually, you're getting into um, very specific challenges here because there is the, the highest level, there is this thinking that AIML could be a hype, right? Like there are lots of other things that have come and gone. But if you once you get into the next level, there are really uh, benefits that businesses are getting by implementing specific areas. Robotic process automation is you know, is really proven to be very successful and beneficial to businesses. And the things that you mentioned are figuring out if it's rules-based or ML. And once you do that, then it could be beneficial in some areas, right? So the other thing is also the classification that you talked about. Can you lay out these challenges that organizations have to go through uh, to number one, to start on AIML projects, right? How, how, you know, what are the use cases that you have seen that are most beneficial to organizations? Number two, is that in getting those projects going, like what kinds of data challenges that they may run into that they should be aware of? Yeah, uh, so nowadays, uh, you know, the big uh, uh, data uh, service providers, they are pushing for uh, movement into the cloud and uh, we're gonna see that continue uh, next year. Uh, but in doing so, uh, what I would advise a lot of customers or companies to do is to uh, start small, uh, understanding uh, the, 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 the pain points, the list of pain points that they have and truncate them into different departments. So if you look at finance, what are the pain points inside of finance? If you have a supply chain, what are the pain points inside of supply chain? And take a look at what how it can be solved. If ML is a solution, then you start with the whole process of identifying what problem you have in supply chain, then you understand where that data comes from. So you want to know where those transactions are coming from and how they're collected. Now, once you know where they're collected, then you can do some exploration of that uh, uh, data. And you also want to understand how you store those transactions as well. So a lot of companies, they, are, uh, they look at artificial intelligence in a way where um, it's, a, it's a robot taking over. I think what we'll see is adoption by small, medium-sized companies. Adoption in the sense of uh, the big service providers will create some more of an artificial uh, intelligence as a service where they can leverage that and um, add on to their existing services, right? So the key point here is to take a look at something like supply chain, for example. Mm -hmm. Where am I losing money? How can I leverage some of these ML tools to uh, reduce cost. This is the biggest bang for the buck. That's that's the way I understand it. Greg, and I, I love how you uh, talk about, you know, really identifying the, the, the problem 
and simplifying it and not always applying a jackhammer where a, a hammer is you know sufficient so i mean i i hear it all the time when uh, people um always want to just apply a you know a multi regression model when a simple linear model is is sufficient sometimes so want to know more about how do you how did you get your your knowledge of data data science because um you know, you, you must have a very strong grasp in order to be able to differentiate and, and separate these type of problems. So it's an interesting question because I'm, uh, I would say I'm in learning phase, right? And I'm, I'm, in a, in a, I'm in a situation where I am refreshing my memory and I'll explain why a little bit. One way that I've done it was, um, start somewhere and data science is so huge you can start mm -hmm. everywhere you could be at the data storage area data collection uh you could be in the exploration area you could be in the engineering side um you could be on the deployment side you name it uh you could be on the visualization side which is where i started solving issues uh in the visualization area and then i started wanting more wanting more meaning i accessed a lot of the available materials that are out there through uh, some of these um uh, channels like Coursera or Udemy. So started started to take some classes in that in those areas to kind of um, learn this new concept that was to me uh, uh, machine learning. And then uh, uh, it started to grow, especially this year, in terms of um, okay, wait a second. A lot of the machine learning, what it is, is statistics and probabilities and understanding how linear linear algebra works. I've done this in college. I've done this at some point, but I totally forgot how to do it. And now I have to go back to kind of understand a little bit what's under the hood. Um, uh, given that there's something, there's a trend happening right now. A lot of the big companies are providing uh, these automated tools when it comes to data cleaning, uh, deployment, et cetera. But I still, I'm still interested to in, into what's happening under the hood for um, an artificial neural network, for example. I want to understand that. What's going on? How do we uh, manipulate a matrix? And for that, yes, I went back to the basics, literally. Wow. This is one of my books uh, from college. Mm. And, and one of those classes that I dreaded, and now I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I have to go back to it to understand what's going on. So those are the things that I uh, uh, try to do. And here's another one here, uh, highly recommended. So this is probability and statistics. Uh, you know, those are books that I, those are classes that I took while I was in college and um, that I now realize is what's happening under the hood uh, for these models or to understand the logic for their recommendations, for their output, for their inference. Uh, uh, so uh, to me, uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, not at all. I'm still on the learning journey trying to understand and my goal is to be able to uh, discuss, uh, leverage my business knowledge, talk to the business side, but also being able to translate that into technical requirements and be able to have key conversations with technical teams like data science teams. 
So that's uh, so great. Thank you for uh, pointing out those uh, two books uh, that we, I mean, there's nothing to be ashamed of. We keep going back to the books because that's where the foundation of the knowledge is. I think you should be excited that we are going back into the books. Yeah. Um, so that's good. So in this area, one of the things that you've been telling us that you, you've acquired knowledge as opposed to a, you know, somebody who has gone to college and learned data science. Right? And then but you're dealing with a lot of data scientists uh, in your work. So again, digging into the same area of how you're dealing on the business side, you bring in the business problems and talking to the data scientists. And one of the things that I have noticed in the past is the clash of knowledge in terms of, you know, who, like you come from a business knowledge and the technical person purely thinks of the technology uh, technical. So in the realm of giving advice to people so others can learn what, what kinds of a challenges have you faced with respect to data culture, with respect to data literacy, and then also culture of a business versus technology, talking the communication aspect of it uh, between uh, these two teams? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think it's a two-way effort, right? Each side has to make an effort to understand the key terms, the main terms, something like, you know, inference, uh, what does it mean, uh, AUC, ROC, um, you know, performance of, uh, you know, knowing how to uh, understand the performance of a model. At high level, a business person needs to understand those. At high level as well, a technical person needs to understand some of the key business terms uh, and processes uh, to be able to uh, make sure that uh, they can provide the right solutions. So it's a two-way effort. Um, what I find easy for me is to understand how to uh, put my thumb down on quantifying um, the risk with of leveraging an ML tool. There's always going to be risk because the uh, predictions are not going to be 100%. And because of that, if the accuracy is say, for example, 98% and the 2% of time where they're wrong, can I support that? Can I survive? Can my business survive with that 2% error? Uh, this is where the both teams are able to come in and uh, understand what needs to be done. So if uh, something that you're trying to uh, uh, increase for, for example, education problem or something like that, um, how can you set that threshold to make sure that you are accepting when false positives are increasing, right? So, uh, you know, who do you favor? Do you want to focus on false positive? or do you want to focus on false negative? It depends on the use case. And when they do happen, can you support it? Can you survive? How costly is it for you? So those are the conversations that need to happen between the two groups. Um, and again, it goes case by case because um, the focus on the performance of a model will vary with the use case. Um, and with that, it's a conversation all around with both groups. Now, one thing that I see is the technical team will always ask you, so are you okay with 98% performance? Because that's the best we can get, right? Um, if you want me to reduce that, you get more of this, more of this. So it's kind of like, how do you create that balance and make sure you understand why, right? And the other thing too is documentation. Documentation is key. Why did we choose to settle with a 97% accuracy? right? Why couldn't it be 98? Something like that, right? Understanding why we took the, those decisions uh, is key as well. 
So we we talked to um, Ramesh and I in our podcast. We've talking to we talked to a lot of data scientists who work in more regulated industries, um, and documentation is certainly a key part of uh, um, audit audit process um, in technology and other industries. Um, is there still such a rigor? Uh, it sounds like there is, but can you talk about the the rigor that you hold yourselves to? Um, when it's a more of a non-regulated in non-regulated industries, like how why is it still important to uh, document and to um, improve trans? Maybe is it is it to gain transparency? Like what are the what are your reasons? Uh, for, that's a great question. I really like it because um, what makes it easy for me is because uh, it's key Amazonian culture in there to document to write documents. Uh, and and you, you you nailed it by saying, is it to drive transparency? That's exactly it, to drive transparency, to make sure that everybody is aligned on the strategy that was that is going to be used or that was used for a use case. Um, that's pretty much it. And this is one of those best practices that's been uh, very beneficial for me because I don't come from a company where we were kind of... Um, encouraged to write documents. It was more PowerPoints. So a PowerPoint could be interpreted by many eyes, right? But keywords in the document are really straightforward. It's easy for people to understand and grasp. Um, and the simple thing is documenting simply means that you can go back to it and understand. If you need to make a change, you need to understand why you made that first decision in the first place. That's, that's what it's about. Um, requirements from a customer's perspective, they, they, they change every time. Uh, new requirements will come in. Old requirements need refreshing. And if you want to update those, you have to go back to uh, the data source or the documentation source to understand why you made that first decision in the first place and what part of that document you need to update. Do you need to make it obsolete or you need to create a brand new document, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is those kind of best practices uh, that helps us uh, throughout the journey and, and, and gives us a sense of direction, certainly. And how difficult is it to document, especially when a lot of models are done agile or a lot of the data curation in the beginning is still very, I mean, I would say trial and error. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious if uh, you could share any light into um, you know, the maybe the percentage of time spent on documenting versus how much of a project is, is spent um, figuring, figuring things out, I would say. I guess, you know, it, it, it depends on uh, where you are in a group, right? So if I'm in the business side, I have to focus a lot on the uh, business case mm -hmm. and write a lot around that. Um, so I use non-technical and technical terms inside of that document. Uh, focus a lot about around, you know, what is the issue, um, why we're having this issue, um, what are the uh, set of solutions that we can come up with, uh, who can provide these solutions, and how these solutions work, et cetera, et cetera. Then you have um, appendix uh, of additional documents. So you have to pull data, you have to analyze the data and, and uh, provide a proof of concept for those solutions and things like that. Um, a lot of the work is done there uh, on my side. 
Now, if you think about the guy who's on the data collection side or the guy who's about to uh, build the pipeline for that data collection and storage and transformation, et cetera, uh, they have key tools that are uh, allowing that documentation inside of that pipeline itself. So there are some um, pipeline, um, you know, uh, design tools uh, for for that we have in house that allows us to uh, put documentation in terms of why we're creating this pipeline, where is it going, how does it flow, how does it flow to the next uh, storage, and why, et cetera, et cetera. So they do their own documentation in that sense too. So throughout the whole project, you have different teams documenting where now if for example, part of the solution is creating a dashboard, for example. Mm -hmm. um, how do we document why we designed this dashboard a certain way, right? All these tools that we have internally, we're putting it down in there too. Um, we're creating these dashboards for X, Y, Z reason. Those are the metrics that we selected because of X, Y, Z. Those are the business uh, uh, use cases that this dashboard is built for, et cetera, et cetera. Whenever we update some of these metrics, because as you deploy these dashboards for people to use, you'll see that the more audience you have, the more requests you will have. Then um, you'll need to change uh, an already established metric to something else. Yeah. Let's not lose track of why we switched it from X to Z, right? So let's document that as well. So that's why documentation is key. And it's a very tedious, ongoing thing. It's never ending. As long as you're still enabling that program, that process, uh, that tool, you have to continuously keep your documents updated. That's that's very interesting. Um, actually, and that also in terms of more people will have more questions, so better to document so you, why you made the decisions. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.